You're listening to Thunder Quack Podcast Network. Hi, this is Roy Thomas, and you're listening to the Epic Marvel Podcast. Hi there, welcome back to the Epic Marvel Podcast. I am your host, Curtis Findlay. This is an interview with Roy Thomas. He's one of the guys that goes way back to uh, the early days of Marvel, and it was great to be able to talk to him about Doctor Strange. Now, Roy Thomas has had a, a long association with Doctor Strange. He, he wrote the character in the 60s and was the primary editor for Doctor Strange through a lot of the 70s and such, and, uh, and then returned to write a great deal of the 90s series, Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme. And this is a companion episode to um, Doctor Strange Episode 3, A Separate Reality. And you'll be able to hear clips from this interview and that episode, along with some clips from Steve Englehart talking about Doctor Strange as well, which is another interview that you'll be able to find on this podcast soon. If you're listening to this episode uh, through our regular podcast stream, then that means that it's been up for a while, actually, on our Patreon site. And you'll want to check out patreon.com slash thunderquacknetwork in order to find many more interviews exclusive to this podcast conducted by me. I always put them up there on Patreon as rewards for people who support our podcast through um, a donation of $5. Uh, and, And then a few months later, I'll put them up on the regular stream. And that's probably how most of you are listening to those today. But we thank all of you who are supporting our Patreon site, um, because we wouldn't be able to run our podcast without you. So without further ado, here is Mr. Roy Thomas. I'm here to talk to you today about Doctor Strange, because you've had a long history with this character going back to the 60s, and I was wondering if we could just uh, kind of touch on uh, how you got associated with him in the first place and kind of work our way through the 90s. Well, the funny thing is that uh, although I was a, a fan of um, Steve Ditko's work going back to his Captain Adam, you know, a few years before Spider-Man, mm-hmm. um, I never really read the Doctor Strange stories. Uh, I'd, I'd buy each issue of Strange Tales uh, for the Human Torch and, the, uh, and then later S.H.I.E.L.D., but I, I don't know, I just wasn't into magic, and while I liked Ditko's art and, and so forth, I just never got around to reading the stories. Now it seems kind of stupid to me, you know, that I, that I read The Human Torch, you know, <laughs> to read Doctor Strange. Yeah. Um, but uh, I, I always, I've always had this prejudice against even magicians that are really pretty good characters that I like, like Dr. Fate, for example. That it, I don't know, I just always felt like uh, it was hard to figure out what they could do. Right. And... Uh, so therefore, you know, I mean, they could just say a spell and get out of anything. And of course, later when I was writing Doctor Strange, that was quite handy. Yeah, but uh, it was—it just wasn't the kind of strip I wanted to read. Uh, I did kind of look at the pictures, but I didn't pay that much attention to it. Uh, later on, I realized, you know, that was really one of the, uh, you know, 
better uh, uh, conceived Marvel uh, strips and everything and uh, changed my mind about it. And I'm really happy that uh, I got to write two of Ditko's last uh, four Doctor Strange stories, I guess. Right. Uh, with Denny O'Neill took over the last two uh, because I got bumped up to something else. I kind of wish I'd written, all, you know, got a chance to write all those last four, but I did get to write two anyway, or dialogue them, you know, from Ditko's. Ditko did all the plotting on on those as he did on, uh, with a little guidance from Stan here and there, perhaps. Uh, you know, uh, he was allowed to kind of do what he wanted to with that story. Stan always kind of considered it kind of a, you know, a throwaway strip, you know. Uh, it it never really was the uh, main cover strip on the book, and it uh, you know, and Strange Tales was always one of the uh, weakest sellers in the Marvel line. So Stan didn't really expect too much of it, and he he and Ditko just did whatever, <laughs> you know, wherever Ditko cared to leave it. Stan was happy to to go there. Uh, he may have uh, talked to uh, Steve about some things here and there in terms of direction, but I, I don't think very much. In my case, I just dialogue stories that were you know. Very, very, very roughly penciled with little tiny scribbled uh, notes from Ditko to tell me what was going on because we never discussed them, you know, by phone or in person. I have some of the notes for one of the two stories. They're just uh, a little grid of the six panels or so he broke it down into and two or three scribbled words in each panel to kind of tell me what was going on. As if I I could tell in most cases, but, you know, it might have been somewhere I wasn't quite sure of the whole thing. And then, you know, from there on, I was sort of on my own. So Steve would break down the panels. Would you say that was his style of, of writing because he was an artist as well? Yeah. Yeah, I mean, uh, you know, if, if he had done the dialogue, then he would have been the auteur, I guess, in a way, right. but he didn't. Yeah, yeah. But I think that Stan's dialogue shaped it to a, 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 more, a greater extent than you might think for somebody who didn't do the plotting, because um, I suspect that uh, while... So, I don't know. Yeah, I've never been able, been able to stand down on this, He's never said that Steve Ditko made up all the uh, those names, you know, Ashtar and Hagath, and I rather doubt he did. And I've never, I don't believe I've read anywhere that he claimed he did. Hmm. And a lot of the charm of that strip, when I got into it, was was all these kind of Lovecraftian names. Even though Stan, uh, I don't know about Ditko, but Stan claims to really not be very familiar with Ditko at all. But they had a kind of a combination of Egyptian and Lovecraftian feel to them. Yes, yeah, they did. And I thought that uh, they and the various expressions he came up with and so forth they added an awful lot to the uh to the strip uh and uh and the kind of the language that stan used you know gave it kind of a noble feel and so forth uh, you know uh, that uh it was really more than just a cursory dialogue job but still it was still primarily Ditko's strip more than stan's in a lot of ways so when you took over the book it went to a full 22 pages um how did you uh... How did you feel taking hold of this character? Well, I hadn't been that eager to do it because, as I said, I, you know, I wasn't a huge fan of that kind of strip, even though I enjoyed the couple I did. I came back into it about the time that I guess it became a full book and did those couple of issues with Adkins and Palmer, and it was doing along okay, retold the origins and got into another adventure and so forth with Dharmamu. But then, of course, the, the lucky thing that happened was that... Uh, uh, when Dan couldn't continue the strip, and, and Tom Palmer, while he uh, was a, a new penciler, and his penciling was a little, you know, it was really not quite what we wanted, uh, that that uh, Stan decided that it would be a good idea, you know, why not give Gene Cohen a try at this? I'm not quite sure exactly why, uh, if, if uh, 
I'm not sure if Kohler had left another strip at that point or what it was, but anyway, he wanted to give it to Gene Colan, and I, I wasn't sure how it would work, but I loved the idea of working with Colan. Mm-hmm. You know, I had done his first, I had done some of the writing on his very first um, Iron Man strip, and I liked his work and, on Iron Man and Submariner. So uh, we gave it a try, and, uh, you know, boy, it, was just, it just became a whole different strip in a way. Uh, this was the first time when Gene took it over as the, as the artist, uh, combined with the fact that I was doing full plots and not just accepting whatever the artist gave me and so forth, for the first time it became kind of a, that's the first really non-Ditko-oriented strip. Because right. before that, when it was done by uh, not just Ditko, but even on the strips after that, as well done as they were by Bill Everett and then uh, particularly Marie Severin, uh, and then those couple issues by Ditko and Palmer, it still all had this kind of, you know, um, hand-me-down Ditko feel. Everybody, everybody was just automatically working in a kind of a Ditko vein and trying to make it like the Stanley, Steve Ditko stories, uh, myself, Denny, and everybody else. And then all of a sudden, when Gene Colan drew it, you know, he just didn't think like Ditko. He didn't draw like Ditko. The, uh, everybody else could, uh, felt like kind of faking those um, worlds that Ditko had made up, the other dimensions and things like that. But Gene just didn't see anything that way. You know, he... He, he had to create his own version of what other dimensions were like, and they were nothing at all like anything Ditko had done. Right. Uh, and uh, as a result, uh, the strip became, I think, more more human. I was between the combination of the the way the dimensions looked and Gene's much more realistic drawing, uh, and so forth. I found that I could uh, I could make Doctor Strange more human, and I had a lot of fun doing that in the next uh, year or so. Uh, although obviously uh, it wasn't entirely successful because the book you know, didn't survive when we had a little downturn in sales. That was one of the books that didn't quite make the cut. Right. Although I, I've always, I've always remembered that, <laughs> that um, at the time we canceled that book, it was selling something like, I don't know, in the low 40% of the, about a, I believe about a 400,000 print run, you know, up there. So it was actually selling a hundred or 200,000 copies a month and they'd send up rockets if they had sales on a comic like that now. <laughs> yeah, right. But the economics at that time were such that, you know, selling for 15, 20 cents or whatever it was, it, it just wasn't enough to, uh, to make it. And, and so that book and, you know, Shield and a couple of things, uh, at X-Men kind of, you know, uh, those books kind of dropped off at the end of the decade. Yeah. But they all came back strong later. Toward the end of this run in the 60s here, you uh, created this Stephen Sanders persona, and he gave Doctor Strange mm-hmm. a new look. Can you tell me a little bit about why you went in that direction with the character? Yeah, uh, it was my idea, although I, I'm sure I ran it by Stan, because you know, I would have said something that radical without checking with him. It occurred to me that you know, one of the things that had made Doctor Strange less popular, even as it made him more unique, was the fact that he wasn't a, a straight superhero. He didn't quite look like one. He didn't quite act like one. Uh, and I thought, well, maybe we could, if we made him look a little more like a superhero, uh, we could still keep what was good about him, you know, the spells, the other dimensional uh, effects and so forth, but we could uh, maybe give him a, a new life instead of just, you know, with a, with this secret entity thing. So I, I just set out to do that. Uh, and since Doctor Strange is a good name for a superhero, but he couldn't also have the same name Strange then as a uh, as a civilian. Right. So I had to come up with this kind of convoluted plan whereby uh, Infinity uh, Infinity did it for him, and uh, that led to the happy accident of uh, of my making up the address for the character. You know, because in order to show that he got this telegram that that had he'd seen originally addressed to Stephen Strange, and then suddenly when Infinity changed the 
past and present and future. Uh, it was addressed to a Stephen Sanders. In order to do that, I needed an address for the uh, for the telegram to go to, and I ended up giving it our uh, the old address that Gary Friedrich, Bill Everett, and I had lived at for about six months in Greenwich Village, and that's become the <laughs> oh, <laughs> really. <laughs> then that's become the address for Doctor Strange, including in the uh, in, in the, the movie, which yeah, I was you know, pleased to see they made a little homage to that. Right on. Yeah, that's so funny. But it was just an accident. I kind of needed the address. I, I had used that. You know, it, it had been sort of said he was off Bleecker Street or near Bleecker Street, and sometimes it was even vaguer than that. But it just occurred to me, well, you know, whatever it said before, I, I could make it now uh, really be, you know, Bleecker Street. Uh, that didn't turn out to save Doctor Strange. It came on a little too late and uh, so forth, and maybe there were other problems. But, uh, and so whenever we brought Doctor Strange back a couple of years later, you know, we got rid of that because uh, if it wasn't going to help the book, we might as well go back to the original version. Right. Although I always rather liked that. Uh, I always, I think it could have, you know, succeeded quite well as in this, uh, you know, secret identity mode too if we had uh, continued with it. Mm hmm. But you know, it was a good. He was a good character either way, and it was still basically the same character. He had a blue face instead of a mustache. That was about it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And this is where his um, his publication history gets a little sketchy because he he jumps around from book to book here and there. He's like in Marvel feature, Marvel yeah. premiere. Well, we wanted to keep him alive, but he didn't have his own title, so uh, we did with him what we did with X Men or other strips. Just you know, use them here and there to. Uh, because we figured, well, you know, even the character who failed in a book eventually uh, still had enough fans that they might pick up another book, right? Uh, if he appeared in it, so it, and and at the same time, it kept them alive for, for a possible return. So we, we, whenever we, a character, you know, if his book, book or feature died, well, we kept him around doing something or other, figuring that uh, he still had some fans, and he still made a good, you know, guest star or an occasional feature, and uh, and, and of course. By, by sheer coincidence, uh, what I was doing with Doctor Strange, putting him in the other books I was writing, like Submariner and The Hulk, ended up uh, leading to, uh, in a way, to the uh, <laughs> to the to the defenders. Uh, defenders That's uh, right. Thing, like, you know, uh, even though, of course, you know, that, that that had two streams. One was the one of the streams to the defenders was the stories I did with the Hulk and uh, Submariner with Doctor Strange as a co-star to finish up that undying one storyline I had started with different artists in different books. And the other was the fact that I had tossed, of course, uh, uh, what, uh, Submariner, Hulk, and uh, and uh, the Silver Surfer together in another book. And uh, so Stan decided he'd liked, he liked that idea of those three characters, but he didn't like the idea of, using, of me using the Silver Surfer as one of them because he really didn't like anybody else to write the Silver Surfer at that stage except him. Right. He'd given me special dispensation to use uh, the Silver Surfer in those couple of stories, uh, just as he had once with uh, Spider-Man in, in the X-Men. But he didn't really want me to be able to be writing the Silver Surfer in a regular book. So he made me take the Silver Surfer out and uh, said we should use Doctor Strange instead, which seemed like a, an interesting idea. And I think it actually, in a lot of ways, it probably worked better, because Doctor Strange was much more of a team leader uh, well, with the other three guys, well, they'd all want to be the leaders, but nobody would want to be the followers, you know? <laughs> yeah. So, so I think that uh, the, the mix in the Defenders became a, you know, a pretty good one there. And mm -hmm. uh, then, of course, Dr. Strange soon got his own book back anyway. Um, and you were editing that uh, Marvel premiere when, when Dr. Strange um, made yeah, his return? Yeah, yeah, yeah. 
Yeah, well, we, you know, it's originally, of course, Stan, you know, wanted to do it. I think he worked on, like, the first with Barry Smith. And, uh, and I was, you know, sort of editing it, and I was choosing the writers. We had different people. Gardner Fox wrote a couple of them because he had written Dr. Fate, and I felt comic books should make a place for Gardner Fox to be employed. But it didn't quite work out after a few issues. And then, uh, you know, and then uh, once Frank Brenner and uh, Steve Engelhart came aboard, it... Uh, you know, it took off, and it, it's it's not like it was ever some big seller with as high a print run as it had before, but the sales were, you know, really quite good on it, and, which, of course, in a way doomed uh, Frank on it, because uh, then Marvel wanted to make it a monthly, and uh, Frank couldn't do it as a monthly book, <laughs> so oh. he ended up having to leave it. So sometime when you get what you want, it doesn't quite work out. You know, Frank was very happy doing it as a bi-monthly book. Once we made it a monthly, it, it just wasn't viable for him anymore. And, of course, the funny thing is, and then when he left, it didn't sell as well without him. Uh, Gene Cohen came on, did a nice job again, but it sold better under Brenner and uh, Engelhart yeah. together than it did whenever, whenever uh, Brenner left. Wow. That doesn't mean that, he, that Brenner was the whole thing, but I think that somehow uh, Gene Cohen was a, a sort of an artist artist, and I... He was a good artist, a popular artist. Everybody loved working with him. He did sell some comics, but he was not a big bookseller. So, and somehow, it's funny thing was that all of a sudden, Brenner did become that, you know, with uh, you know, in, on that Doctor Strange. I think he had a lot to do with that and with Howard the Duck being successful, you know, for for a little while. Mm -hmm. But somehow, Gene Colan, you know, while he could sell some books on Daredevil and various things, but somehow or other. I don't know. Uh, there, there was something about his art that didn't appeal, I think, to some of the younger readers. And I, I think that, I think some of the younger readers didn't find it as quite as clear, you know, as they did other artists' work, and they didn't necessarily pick it up. And I think that sometimes hurt books he worked on. Let's jump ahead to the '90s. You're good because I wasn't there for the '80s. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, so. Doctor Strange is making a big comeback here in this brand new title, and how did you get assigned to writing that one? Well, I I really don't know. Uh, Ralph Macchio would have, you know, who was the editor would have to say. I know it was up to four issues. There have been four issues done. Was it Peter Gillis and another another artist? I, I did see them because uh, I had to figure out why Doctor Strange was suddenly wearing an eye patch. But right. Ralph called me up one day and asked me if I'd like to work on. Uh, on Doctor Strange again, I said, oh, that would be a lot of fun. And he said, you know, there's this guy, Jackson Geis, you know, who's going to be drawing it, a new artist also. So the two of us were starting together. Uh, later, um, Jackson, uh, Ralph told me that Jackson had really been rather reluctant to do Doctor Strange, but that he told him later he, he'd had a lot of fun. If he'd known it was going to be fun, he, would, he said he would have accepted sooner. So I guess he enjoyed what we did together for that year or so. Uh, so we started working on it, and then a strange thing happened. I figured, well, Jackson is another artist with a somewhat, you know, realistic bent, the same way Colin did. I mean, not the same way, but, you know, it's that same kind of thing where you can almost, not, you know, where you can think of it as being a, you know, quasi-photographic realism in certain aspects. Right, least. yeah. You know, the faces and the, the backgrounds and things will look more real in, a, in either a Gene Colin strip in one way or a Jackson guy strip in another. So I figure it's going to be a lot like when I did uh, with Gene Colan, and to some extent it was, uh, except that uh, uh, something about the way Jackson told the story working from my plot, you know, I did a several page, you know, plot outline, you know, again, you know, fairly detailed, probably more detailed than I gave Gene because that's the way Marvel, you know, was working by then. They wanted almost a page by page breakdown really. And uh, so that's what I gave them. And, um, uh, Something about the way that, that uh, Jackson drew the 
the pencils there, uh, suddenly made me start thinking about writing it a little differently. Uh, I'd had some aspects of this, I think, when I was working with Gene, but my, my feeling was suddenly it occurred to me that by the time Doctor Strange had his accent, became a one, you know, a wasted wanderer and, and so forth, and then a, a magician, he already had to be in his 30s. You know, he was not as young a guy as some of the other guys. He had to be a little older, the same way that, say, Tony Stark was. Right. Uh, and he, he was a more farm human being than, say, Spider-Man might have been when he became a uh, character, or even Captain America, you know, when he was like, what, 18, 19, 20 years old and, you know, in World War II. Uh, and I decided that if he was, then maybe I could get a little more humor in there. You know, I no, almost nobody had ever seen Doctor Strange, you know, crack a joke or <laughs> smile. He'd had romances and various things, but somehow or other, he didn't seem, I don't know, never to be when I was writing him or when I saw what other people did with him. He was an interesting character in certain ways, but he didn't seem as human as he could have been. And I thought, well, you know, maybe that's one reason he's never been uh, quite as popular as he could be, because he never, you know, he always seemed kind of removed from humanity, as if being this sorcerer supreme, you know, took him out of the realm of ever uh, finding anything funny or saying anything funny. So I, I suddenly began to kind of uh, have him kind of, you know, crack wise a little bit and some of the other characters, and we turned it into a book with a lot of, of humor in it, and uh, some of the humor was in the dialogue, some of it was in weird situations, which I had already set up before I decided how to write the character, which, for example, the whole first uh, plot that I thought of was this idea about if I was going to use Mordo, I decided, what would Mordo be likely to do? And I thought about the idea of selling your soul to a demon, and I thought, well, Mordo is so crooked, what if he sold his soul to two demons, and now they're both coming after him, you know? <laughs> and that struck me as kind of funny, so I made a plot out of that. I was work- uh, My wife, Dan, did some of the... Uh, we would sort of talk it over, so she did some credited or uncredited, you know, uh, plotting with me here and there. But uh, uh, and and uh, it turned out to be a, a lot of fun. Jackson rose to the occasion and seemed to have a lot of fun with it. And you know, so then I'd have these scenes, like you know, one of the, one, you know, with uh, who, who who was it? Uh, uh, let's see, Satanish and uh, Dormammu, I guess it was. Is that who the two were? Uh, yep, yep. I don't know the, the, the two. Yeah, who were and you know one of them is like vomiting into the face of the other, you know, and so forth. <laughs> and I, you know, just just kind of, uh, and it was just you know, and I I used that uh, Alice in Wonderland caterpillar that Brother and Engelhardt had had, and uh, you know, just just had a little more fun with that, and you know, and uh, the book evidently I, I don't know that much about sales figures at that stage. I didn't see them as I formerly did, but I guess the, the books you know sold you know pretty well and. It's just unfortunate that once Jackson wandered off, I, I, I worked with some other talented people. Jim Valentino did an issue or two, uh, and, and particularly uh, 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 Jeff Isherwood did some fine work. But somehow or other, that, that whole humorous approach that I'd been doing just didn't seem to work uh, as well <laughs> when I was working with another artist. It didn't seem like, you know, it, it just didn't seem like it was, was coming. I'd write these stories, and then when I'd get it in, I just couldn't see writing the same kind of dialogue, so it did all right. But eventually, I, I guess I wandered off it too, you know. Yeah, there is that um, there is that distinct change when you you go more into the the vampires and werewolves kind of uh, mm-hmm. of, of plots. And um, was that a result of Jackson Geis leaving then? Well, we were doing some of the vampire stuff when he was there, weren't we? Didn't we bring in? Uh, didn't we bring in? Uh, Stephen's brother, Victor. Uh, oh yeah, that's or right. Or Vincent. Yep. Vincent. 
was it Vincent or Victor? I forget. But whichever Victor. he was, uh, he was brought in as you know while uh, Jackson was the artist and everything. And uh, you know that still had that kind of humanity and humor and and Rintra that extra dimensional assistant that somebody made up. I thought he was a good character. That was a lot of fun. And I had Doctor Strange interacting with two or three different. Women, Morgana Blessing, writing a book about him, you know, sort of exposing him to the world, things of that sort. Let's talk about that issue, issue number nine, where a lot of that issue is is just the magazine. It's prose, not oh, your typical yeah. comic. No, no, well, it wasn't intended to be. Um, what happened is that uh, Jackson was putting a lot of work into it, but again, you know, putting that much work into a monthly book is it's very difficult if you're not a super fast artist, you know. And Jackson wasn't especially slow, but he put a lot in, so he was, and he really, we were constantly losing in ground. It was, you know, sort of like every 30 days you had to produce a book, and it, it was taking Jackson a little longer, so we were falling behind. So so we, uh, Ralph wanted to find some way to get him caught up, and yet we hated to have just a fill-in with another artist, you know, totally. So we came up with this idea, uh, I, I, since there was this, um, you know, book that Morgana Blessing was going to write. Let's just, you know, make, let's just do the book. And I'll just, I knew I'd have to do extra work because I'd have to write all the prose and figure out what the art was too and everything else. It was really two or three times as much work for me. But I figured, well, we'll save, that way Jackson will only have to do a few illustrations here and there. You know, we'll save him, you know, maybe a week or so we can catch up, you know. And uh, it didn't work, though, because Jackson had so much fun, he kept wanting to do more illustrations and put more <laughs> into them. So I don't think we really gained any time at all. Oh, no. But we did come up with an unusual issue. I'm not sure what other people thought. I mean, Ralph and I liked it a lot. I think Jackson had a lot of fun with it. I remember running into Chris Claremont and some other writer up there once, and they said something. Uh, I guess I took it as being congratulations but I'm, uh, for, on that unusual issue, but they may have just been saying that was a weird issue and not necessarily entirely the favorable way. And I just thanked them and walked on because I was very happy on, on it. And, you know, much as I respect those guys, I didn't give a shit what they thought <laughs> you know, about the issue. <laughs> yeah. I was happy with it. What do I care what somebody else is? Now, yeah. If Ralph Bacchio didn't like it or Stan Lee didn't like it, you know, that's something else. Well, what my fellow writers or artists thought of it doesn't matter to me too much. Well, I thought it was a great issue. It's really nice to see yeah. people take chances and change things up a little bit every once in a while. Yeah, well, it was it was kind of fun. I would, you know, it it killed me to, in terms of work, you know, it, it's certain things that would be a lot more fun, you know, that or not Brand X when I was working on that for, uh, you know, about a year back in the '60s. Some of those things are such such uh, were terrible money losers in the sense that it just took you know two or three times as long to write those as it did to write. Uh, you know, a normal book for obvious reasons. Mm -hmm. But, you know, uh, as, a, as an experiment, it was kind of fun. It would have killed me if I had to do it every month. You know, I couldn't have done anything else. But I am glad I did it. I was very happy with it. We, got, we even got uh, my acquaintance um, Mobius into it you know, because we were going to, at the time, you know, Mobius, we, were, we had permission for a while to write, um, to do a book that, uh, a comic, uh, a miniseries, uh, that uh, was going to be Doctor Strange meets Mobius's some of Mobius's you know fantasy characters like that what Arzak yeah, who yeah. would ride around yeah. that pterodactyl and a couple of other characters of his and uh, Marshall Rogers and I started to work on that and there was there's about ten or so pages that I have somewhere in uh, you know pencil form you know I have Xeroxes of them in, in pencil form of this story I don't think uh, Doctor Strange got into it too much but it had a lot of stuff with Arzak and stuff. 
and so forth. But then it never, uh, I don't know, somehow or other it got shelved and never got used, you know. Wow, that's incredible. But, I'd love that to would see have been that. an interesting series, see yeah. Doctor Strange meets Mobius' characters. I, I would love to find sometime a chance to, uh, to reprint some of those pages, but I'd, I'd want to, you know, but now that Mobius is no longer alive, uh, I'm not sure that, you know, that somebody somebody with his estate might try to get us in trouble if we use those uh, pictures, even just reprinting a, uh, you know, a page here and there, an alter ego or something. But it seems a shame to have nice work like that by Marshall. And, of course, Marshall passed away. Yes. Uh, yeah. very, at, at way too young an age and so forth. And I never really was in touch with uh, him that much or with, you know, his, his wife or anything. So... I don't know, it, it's just buried somewhere, maybe one of these days. I, I even have the uh, different versions of the plot and everything. You could make quite, you could make quite, a, quite an article out of them. John Mark and Randall Lefisier were sort of in a partnership with Mobius for a while, and they're the ones who arranged that. Mm-hmm. And, they're the, and it was also they, uh, John Mark especially, who uh, arranged for, you know, for Doctor Strange to be able to, uh, uh, to, to meet Mobius. It was all worked out, you know, and with uh, Mobius's blessing and everything, but then it... You know, it got kind of shelled for whatever reason. I never did quite figure out why. And uh, next thing you know, then the whole, you know, then Mobius was kind of gone and whatever. And it, 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 you know, I, I don't even remember. Maybe Marshall dropped off at some stage. But we could have found another artist to do it, you know, if that was the problem. Right. As uh, good as Marshall was. But, uh, yeah, I, I was always sorry that didn't get going because uh, I don't remember what the story was much anymore. But we, you know, we had a lot of <laughs> interesting things going on. Issue number 15 of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, has a, a photo cover with Amy Grant on the cover, and there was some controversy oh, yeah, around right. that, right? Um, is that true? That yes, she... I'm glad I had nothing to do with that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Nobody could blame me on it because I wasn't involved with the covers as I had been, you know, before. But she, she was upset by that? Evidently. I mean, I only heard, you know, second or third hand. I mean, you know, but, uh, yeah, uh, Jackson had told me that uh, it was, because I think I asked him at some early stage, uh, maybe before there was any threat of a loss or anything, uh, you know, about the the uh, the face. Because I didn't recognize Amy Grant. I didn't know anything about her, her music or whatever. Right. He didn't pay much atten- attention to rock music, gospel rock, or you know, any of that stuff at that stage. You know, I'm in, I'm what was I, I was in my you know 40s or something. You know, I yeah. you know I don't wasn't following it, but. Uh, he said it was a combination of her, and I think he said his wife, and something else. So you know, maybe it wasn't straight uh, Amy Grant, but anyway, Amy Grant felt it was Amy Grant, and and here's her face on a cover of a book about what devilism and everything else, yeah, yeah. <laughs> you know, <laughs> and everything. So they were not happy about. It. I don't. Other than that, I don't know. You know how uh, how far anything got. You know, I never. You know, I don't know if there were exactly threats of a lawsuit. I presume there there usually are, well, but I, I guess they got it all worked out. I'll ask Ralph Macchio. I don't know. They're they're now about to reprint that whole run of uh, of uh, the beginning of Doctor Strange, Sorcerer Supreme, which includes the four issues before Jackson and I came aboard, and then mm-hmm. our I think our whole run in some big omnibus that's coming out. In the next yeah, that's season. right. Yeah, and I'm yeah. I'm hoping that there isn't any problem with them being able to reprint that cover. <laughs> Although that would be you know a relatively minor loss if it couldn't be printed, but it'd be nice if it, they could reprint everything. Yeah, I'm yeah. hoping that all the work that Jackson and I did together gets in there, and that, and hopefully also a few of the other stories that uh, were then in between, you know, with uh, Jim Valentino and I don't know, maybe Jeff Isherwood or whatever. I, I'm not sure how far they're carrying it up there, but but most, but but I guess the majority of the issues will be the ones that Jackson and I did together. Yeah, I think those will all be there. It doesn't quite get to the end of your stretch on on that book. Yeah, because I yeah because I did some with Jeff and others after. Uh, 
Jackson left. Why did you end up leaving yeah. Doctor Strange? I haven't the slightest idea. I, I don't. I don't remember. You know, uh, I don't know if they they took me off it or uh, if the book did the book. Would the book continue without me? I don't remember. Yeah, it continued quite a bit, and um, actually, Jeff Fisherwood took over as a writer as well. So he was writing and drawing mm-hmm. it. That's right. I remember that now that you mentioned it. Yeah, I re- I really don't know. You know uh, what happened if uh, you know it, it, I don't I don't remember if I was taken off it or I wanted to leave it. I don't think I cared that much after certain things, except right. that I wanted. What What was the year of that? Do you happen to know? That was nineteen ninety three. I don't know if it was fairly early because I was still working. You know, I, I was I continued to work pretty regularly with a, about as much work as I could handle for Marvel through at least ninety five or ninety six or somewhere in there. So at this stage, I was still getting plenty of work for Marvel. Yeah. You know, it kind of dried up near the end of the decade after because uh, I guess they were having their collapses and things were kind of yeah. you know going downhill for Marvel a little bit at that time. And so a number of us got kind of flicked off on the side, and I sort of you know and as they they you know, they let Conan go you know and so forth so that mm-hmm. at first I wasn't quite doing all the Conan and then I finished Conan off but they let Conan go entirely and various things of that sort and the next thing you know I was doing you know uh, after the uh, 90s I was doing you know very little for Marvel so but uh, you know but I had a good run from the latter 80s through the 90s again almost as long as the first one. One more question for you. Um, so throughout your run, you, there were many of these wide company crossovers, Acts of Vengeance, and then all three of the, yes. the Infinity Trilogy. Did you find that hard right. hard to write, or did it, did you feel like it got in your way? Well, in some ways, but I, I, I'll tell you, I I wasn't. I don't think that they forced me to do all those. I mean, they they were kind of pushy, but I think that not everybody had to do them. And if you didn't really, if you really didn't want to, you could have opted out or done slightly fewer or something. But my idea was, I knew that Doctor Strange, especially, uh, you know, now we didn't have. I don't think Jackson worked on any of those, did he? Um, no, I don't think so. Yeah, but um, I, I had this feeling that maybe, you know, that with the, with Jackson gone and, and so forth, that you know, maybe Doctor Strange needed, you know, to get as much attention as it could get. So I was eager to do them. Um, I had a little problem with it because uh, I'm, I'm a big uh, respecter of uh, of Jim Starlin's work. I mean, I'm the guy who put him on stuff like <laughs> you know Warlock and mm-hmm. stuff like that, and you know, and so forth, and 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 kind of you know turn him loose and 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 let him go, you know. But um, at the same time, that kind of super cosmic stuff that he would do in those Infinity books is really not my cup of tea. And uh, you know, I, it, those are those are books that I would read, you know, only because. Um, you know, it was something I had to do in order to write my books. I had to read those books, but they were just not the kind of thing that that appealed to me as a reader. They were they were too cosmic, and I, I you know, cosmic stuff is not my cup of tea, generally right. speaking. Uh, right. Despite my Doctor Strange, maybe that's one of the reasons I made Doctor Strange more human is because I'm not that wild about the cosmic stuff. You know, the the further out Silver Surfer and you know, and the Infinity Wars and all that kind of thing, uh, and I can admire them and, and think that and think that it's good work, but it's not my kind of thing. However, um, I thought it was a good idea to tie Doctor Strange to them uh, because I got royalties or incentive payments out of them, and and to that extent, it did uh, it did pretty well. And you know, I, I think I, I had fun coming up with stories that would fit, but it was more that I had fun coming up with my stories rather than that I was really interested in the main, in the main storyline that was going on in the Infinity books because that didn't really, you know, interest me except as a chance to make a little money. Okay. 
But of course, you know, it's a commercial venture. I mean, what, what's the, what's, you know, what's wrong with that? You know, Marvel wanted me to make money for them too. They were very happy to have me do all these Doctor Strange books because that just meant more. If, if I got more money in my pocket, they got a lot more in theirs. Right. <laughs> and I enjoyed that. I remember a couple of things I think I did in connection with that. I think there was one story I did, you know, set at the Alexandria Library, you know, in ancient Egypt when it, when it, was burned by the Romans or the, or whoever it was that did it at that at the time of Cleopatra and a couple of other stories like that. I had a lot of fun with those stories and uh, Dan and I, you know, would would sit together and plot and work it out. But neither one of us was really that wild about the Infinity stories yeah. ourselves. I'd be interested to see what they do with it when they turn it into an Avengers movie, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and everything. But uh, but in and of itself, it's just too cosmic, you know. Um, but that's just my own you know opinion. It's not a disparagement of uh, certainly of Stalin or his. Oh, for work sure. or anything. It just it, it just wasn't my uh, it just wasn't the kind of thing that I look for in comics. Of course, but obviously it was what a lot of the other audience was. So, which just you know, in some ways, was showing me that you know, comics were moving away from the kind of thing that that I liked. And uh, so, you know, in some ways, you know, maybe it's just as well I haven't been writing that many for some years. So we'll be sure to check out the Doctor Strange Sorcerer Supreme Omnibus when it comes out soon. And is there anything else you'd like the readers to check out? Yeah, you know what is coming out? When, when is pretty the, soon, I think. Yeah, it's coming out this yeah. summer. Yep. Yeah, I thought so. I was, I was, I'm glad because originally when the, the Doctor Strange movie came out, I was kind of sorry. I, I was hoping that would have been an excuse for them to publish some of it then, you know. And they didn't, but they're co- they're coming out with it now, so that's good. It is good, yeah. I don't know if there's any particular reason why they're coming out with it now, but at least they're doing it. Um, is there anything else you'd like our listeners to check out? Is Alter Ego still going on these days? Yeah, oh yeah. Uh, I guess, uh, you know, I, I, you sound like you don't see it, but some people do. We still sell a few thousand, you know, copies a month. You oh, know, good, yeah. I don't see it at the, my local comic shop, but... Uh, yeah, well, generally speaking, you know, the, the way the comic shops are run now, I mean, they, they're so uh, eager not to uh, invest any, you know, of their, their money in, into uh, anything that, you know, that they aren't 100% sure they can sell. So rather than have one, even one or two copies of Alter Ego sitting around, to, uh, which would, of course, mean that somebody new might buy them, they only order them for the... Um, for the people that, that particularly, you know, want them, and that, that, that way it makes it very hard to expand because nobody ever sees them on the shelf to, yeah. you know, to, to make an impulse buy and then maybe decide they like it. And that, that sort of puts an upward, upward limit on, uh, on sales. But, uh, no, it's, it's, still, it's still going. It's just that, uh, you know, uh, it doesn't get into comic stores for the most part unless uh, somebody orders it, which means it isn't on the shelf, so therefore it's very hard to get new readers to, to see it. Well, then we'll have to uh, make a special request to our local comic shops. Yeah, okay, well, lots of luck with that one. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, thanks very much.